Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I also have a really funny opening night story from Neil Simon. He said that in back in the 60s, when the show first opened on Broadway, that he and Cy Coleman and Bob Fosse were all standing in the back of the theater. And the show starts, and Sid Caesar, of course, is brilliant, but he all of a sudden got a cough, which happens 100%. You get on stage and you're like, uh, I have something in my throat. And so he coughed on his first three lines, which meant that the first three laughs were full silent in the house, right? And they're just like in the back, like the producers, you know, just terrified of what's going on. A couple more minutes pass, an inebriated man gets out of his seat in the orchestra, storms up the aisle, and turns to them and says, this is the worst musical I've seen since My Fair Lady. And... (laughs) (laughs) God. And they started laughing and could not stop laughing for the entire first act. Oh, my God. And Neil Simon says, and luckily, neither could the audience. The audience was laughing for the rest of the first act as well. But he's like, that was the first good omen, was the drunk man saying that this was as bad as My Fair Lady. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, I I mean, guys, this is basically an early Christmas present to myself. We're talking about a musical that has one of my favorite comedy scores of all time with someone who was nominated for a Tony Award while starring in one of its revivals. The musical is Little Me, and our guest is Broadway legend Mary Gordon Murray. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Mary, I'm so, so honored and grateful you're here. Thank you so much. Just, I'm delighted. And honestly, it's not just because of Little Me, because you're our first guest on since uh, the passing of Stephen Sondheim. Oh, yeah. And um, not only do you have a great relationship with Little Me, but also with Sondheim shows. You were the first replacement, right, for uh, Baker's Wife? the Baker's Wife, yeah. In Into the Woods in the original production. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I had worked, uh, the first time I worked for Steve, Mr. Sondheim. You um, can call him Steve. I can call him Mr. Sondheim. <laughs> it's Mr. Sondheim for me, too. Um, I was still doing One Life to Live. I did a, a soap for a long time, and oh, okay. I was just leaving that soap and auditioned for the La Jolla rewrite, retooling that James Lapine, George Firth, and, and Stephen Sondheim were doing of Merrily. We roll along. Oh, and, okay. This is in San Diego. Uh, in San Diego. I'm in New York, but they were casting it out of New York. And uh, sure. and because I was leaving the soap, I could actually do a job out of town. Um, and little me, one of the great things about that was that I was on the soap then, but because it was Neil Simon and Cy Coleman, they didn't go out of town. They just rehearsed oh. and opened on Broadway, which I can't even think of any other show that would ever do that today. Like, Well, specifically then, like you didn't do that. You went out of town. You went out of town. Absolutely. You didn't do labs. Now it's like the labs and the regional yeah. theater, whatever. Workshops, whatever. The workshops. And this had none. This just, they had done it before. They were rewriting it. That was it. But um, I, I auditioned for it. Um, for Merrily We Roll Along mm-hmm. and it was for the role of Gussie 
which was interesting okay. because up until then, I mean, the role I played on the soap was Becky Lee Abbott. You can tell by the name, sort of like she was a really, <laughs> really nice girl from the hills of Tennessee. And and for Merrily, I was I was auditioning for Gussie, who was right, this, this arch so society, yeah. narcissistic, very funny, great stuff that George Firth wrote for the character, um, kind of socialite. Polar opposite of really anything. I mean, still my face looks like, you know, the nice person in the room. My little cherub <laughs> face. That's usually like, how I got cast. Warmth. I'm warm. Warm. Pretty warm. <laughs> pretty still pretty warm even at this age. So I was like flabbergasted to get that role. I mean, uh, that's another whole story, but not what we're going to talk about today. So then they're auditioning for uh, this show about fairy tales. And they're doing a lab, Stephen, Stephen and James Lapine. And um, they called me in because it had been a very successful experience in La Jolla for all of us involved. It was a oh. great production and, and very lovely for me. So I went into audition for Into the Woods, but because of, which wasn't even Into the Woods, I think, then. And sure. uh, just this show they were developing. And they, they had a role of a witch who was going to be a rapper. And that's <laughs> what they thought of me for. Because I was hey. gussy. So, and... You know, and we had to go in and do a real rap song like that. It's so funny oh, to think wow. of how these things start, which became, the, of course, the Bean song, you know. Right, right, right. But at that point, so they ended up get, casting that gal, Meatloaf's gal, who did mm-hmm. the original lab. And I can't think yeah. of her name. Forgive me, uh, but I can't think of her No, I can't oh. either. Um, but she, she even did the Old Globe version before she Bernadette did. went in. It, yeah. Oh, that was it. That was the one that, yes, it was the lab and then the Old Globe. And then, um, well, you know what? I think the lab might have been not her. It was, was it Buckley? It was Buckley. I believe it was Buckley. So that's another yeah, another story. That, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. And then it was <laughs> Meat Love Scal and, and at the Old Globe. And then they brought in Bernadette. So, uh, you know, needless to say, I did not get that gig. So they open on Broadway. They're doing really well. Joanna gets a Tony nomination. And I don't know what kind of what happened. I, I don't know why. But fairly quickly after, um, she gave her notice. And she'd mm. been in it for a while. And um, they suddenly needed a very quick replacement, like to go in in a week and a half. And they oh, even my had, goodness. Yeah, it was really going to be a fast turnaround. So I heard about this, and I was like, great. Oh, my gosh, I'll go in and audition for that. There's a role, like I usually get cast in, like kind of a likable smart lady, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they said, absolutely not. They didn't want to see me. <gasps> because they... Because I, they knew you as God. Yeah, I was the witch. You know, I was this, I'm like, what? The baker's wife? No, that's terrible. Wow. So I called my agent, and I am the least pushy, like, I, you know, we all have self-esteem <laughs> issues as actors. Agreeable, agreeable. Uh, agreeable, thank you, sir. Oh, my gosh, thank you for letting me breathe. I mean, all that stuff we all do. <laughs> We have developed egos, but self-esteem is always an issue. So it's never something that I like, <laughs> like jump in and go, oh, no, really, you should see me anyway. But I'm he, your gal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Like never. But I called my agent back and I said, and I knew the experience had been good in La Jolla. I mean, I knew there was goodwill that they sure. genuinely just didn't. They just thought, no, that's crazy. And I said, can you ask them as a favor to give me 10 minutes? I mean. I couldn't believe I like did that. but. <laughs> I said, can they, as a favor, can they just do it? And I, my agent went, like, pause. Went, okay. Uh, okay. And 15 minutes later, I got a call back saying, sure, <gasps> go ahead in, go ahead in. And I got an offer after the audition. I came home to an offer on my machine. I mean, they, they just, it was so gratifying. But it was also like, this is actually more like what I usually get cast as than I my- appreciate, yeah, seriously. Yeah. I appreciate you thinking of me having so much range. But also, I, let me show you where range. I live. Not much range, really. More just playing arch, you know, socialites, <laughs> you know, whatever, who are funny. But anyway, That's it was so very gratifying. And and also, like, but Joanna was leaving that weekend. Like, I got cast on a Friday. That's they a needed huge some show. Huge oh, my role. God. And I had a week and a half of rehearsal and then went in. And it was the understudies on for the rest of the week and a half. So I went and watched Joanna all weekend long. And then, mm. oh, in horror, horror, wow. went in very, very fast. And, but... Did the national tour, which was, it was all ended up being a, a great experience. Really very wonderful. So then they did Gussie again. Uh, they did Merrily again, and I did Gussie um, without Lapine directing. He he didn't continue with it. They did it at the Long Wharf, and I um, I was with that production. And unfortunately, that never came in. It eventually oh, was done. Yeah. We we did an episode on Merrily. It's such a fascinating oh. show that when you talk about it, you're like, man, this is so good. And then yeah. it gets in the theater and you're like, well, I don't know how an audience yeah, is going to ever go for this. I remember at La Jolla, we had really had great reception for it. And then we had this really clunky 
Sunday performance where the, I don't know what happened. They just stared at us. And that's when the Nederlanders came. Oh, was for something crying out loud. really devastating. And it was like we all went, not this one. Oh, my not, God. Yes, yeah. of all of the performances. And that was that was the kiss wow. of death. We thought we'd definitely take this production in. It, it had really been, it was John Rubenstein and Chip Zion and Heather McRae. And they were all, and Marin oh Maisie. They were crazy great, you know, phenomenal, wow. phenomenal company. What is it about um, Sondheim's work that always... Oh excited you i mean oh I, know, I know it's like the, oh, no, no, the no. silliest course, question but but it's but, but of course but i mean it's also the one you want to actually love to answer because <laughs> it's such a you know we all have such a strong personal reason for that i mean mm. i actually put a thing on facebook after i ne- i so rarely post anything on facebook i troll people you know and i'll <laughs> i'll do a comment but i'm so shy about it but that one i just burst into tears and i everybody was taking a facebook and i did write my story about it And mostly, you know, my first, not my first Broadway show, but one of the first, I was 15 when I saw Company on Broadway. And um, and it just was, it was like a, a, I don't know, like a steam engine rolled over me. Like I didn't even understand what I was seeing. It was so unbelievably great. And I just fell in love with everything that he did from that point on and and Hal Prince did from that point on. And um, the first time I auditioned for Sondheim, I have a couple of them, was actually for Side by Side by Sondheim. And that didn't happen. Okay. It was, I forget why. I mean, it didn't happen because they didn't hire me. But sure. I remember there was something, but it was still gratifying because it was a good audition. I remember he nodded after I sang. And I thought, like, he nodded. That's good. <laughs> he didn't like go, mm, you know, right. like a big no horrible cringing. face. Yeah. And then the next time, believe it or not, was for the original Sweeney Todd. Was and I had to, oh my God. And it was for, you know, the young gal the, the, sure. who sings Green Finch, whose name I am now spacing on. Joanna. Joanna. Th- Hello. Joanna, Mary. I, there, yeah. there is a song. There is a song. It's kind of famous. <laughs> Joanna. Um, God almighty, how old am I? And uh, I had to go in and sing a, an opera piece. So, oh, God. Like my auditions. My right. soul just like quivers. So from opera, rap, you know, I've, I've run the gamut auditioning <laughs> for Stephen Sondheim. And needless to say, that didn't happen. That was, but I, you know, but I was too young to like go. Maybe I shouldn't go in. I was still smoking two packs a day. I mean, I, I had a reasonable soprano voice, but that was not going to happen at all. Um, they actually brought me in when I went in for Gussie. They also said, "Would you audition for Beth?" And at the time, I thought she sang something soprano. I just oh, did. Okay. And on the spot, I just went no. I mean, they asked me at my audition for Gussie, and I did it because I thought I can never sing soprano for Stephen Sondheim again. Not after my audition. Not for after Greenfield. I can't do it. And I must have seemed like kind of la-di-da, but I was more like petrified. Like, no, don't do that. Anyway, so, um, oh, then they were auditioning for Merrily. And I'm in my, I'm like 28 for the original one. And I I was too old. Were you too old? Uh, that's right. I was because I mean dead. they had they had the eighteens. They had the babies on there. That was yeah. the whole point of it. And I was too old, and I was devastated. So when I finally auditioned, not that many years later, but in my thirties, you know, I was I was thrilled. And that one's finally wow. it. What a life. Well, you know, like we're creating some content for the new year, all, you know, remembering Sondheim as we should be and as everyone should be. And yeah. I hope that everybody will look forward to that. But I do want to say at this point right now. There was never anyone like him. There mm. will never be anyone like him again. No. And no. um and all I can do is just be grateful yeah. for the way that his work and his life impacted mine. And I I look forward to just remembering him for the rest of my life. It's so ironic to me because I always was so stunned at how emotional I found his music. Like I found it the most mm. incredibly moving music, and it would like blow my mind that people would say, "Oh, it's he's just intellect is cerebral." It's mm-hmm. like, Are you kidding? Oh my god! It's like the most devastating. But it was it was this incredible blend. You know, if, if you, you, I didn't really answer your your initial question. I went no, into like need to do this. <laughs> Let's talk about even me. more interesting. Yeah, even more interesting. Well, but but I mean, he was that incredible combination of not being snarky, cognitive, intellectual, but smart and emotional at the same mm-hmm. time. And I think that that was such a powerful blend for musical theater in general, for theater in general. He just made you feel like, oh, my God, this is as good as Shakespeare. This Moliere. is a real art form. Yep. Yep. Legit. Yep. It's, Legit. It's, it's, uh, any, it's as good as anything that's been done. Agreed. Ever. Yeah. Agreed. 
Um, well, pivoting from somebody who, I mean, when you sit in a theater and watch a Sondheim show, you, from the downbeat, you know it's one of his shows, right? Oh, yeah. Pivoting from that composer to someone who I'm now calling the chameleon of musical theater, Cy Coleman, because yeah. every single one of his shows sounds yeah. almost completely different from the other. Mm-hmm. Not to say that he didn't have his strengths. You know, he always had this really strong jazz influence. But this is the third Coleman show that we've covered. We did Will Rogers Follies, which has, you know, country with vaudevillian type aspects to that score. You have City of Angels, which is maybe the most sophisticated jazz score that's ever been written for the musical theater. And then, and now we're covering Little Me, which is like classic, classic musical Broadway. comedy. Yeah. Right? Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about him, because I know that when you were doing the revival in the early 80s, like he was around. They were rewriting. They were oh, yeah. redoing things. So what what can you share with me about this um, guy? So funny, because I remember that first rehearsal so vividly, just sitting at the that table. <sighs> there I am, and I'm sitting at this read, the first read, at one of those tables with the coffee cups. And there's Cy Coleman, Neil Simon, <laughs> Carolyn Lee, like... Hanging, chatting, just, you know, and I'm like, am I here? Like, what? what? These are like the legends of ever, and yeah. I'm sitting in this room. And they were just cracking wise and being people, and it was sort of the, they were just folks putting on a play. You know, right, like, every, like, like you always are putting on a play. First day of rehearsal. First day like of rehearsal. it always is. Like, like whether, wherever you are, however it is at AMDA, anywhere else, it looks the the same with the coffee cups and the long table. You know? Isn't that so true? I remember my first audition in New York, and I thought it was going to be so different from all of the auditions I had done in Los Angeles. I'm like, there's going to be Tony Awards on the table, fireworks going off in the background. <laughs> and then I was like, nope, it's just another audition. That's exactly what it's like. The biggest change that you know, um, kind of, uh, if you're into the weeds of musical theater, and particularly yeah. you know this show, which for some people... It's a thing. It's an iconic thing. Yeah. Me. They were really some some of them. Frank Rich, I think it was one of the first shows he ever saw on Broadway. So he had an enormous Aww. kind of affection for it. How um, cute. Unfortunately, not for our production, but. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Frank. He was nice to me. I, I have no bones hey, to keep Hey, there you go. Frank Rich, he was very kind. But, um, but what he didn't like and what many didn't in this revival, it was originally, of course, a Sid Caesar vehicle. Um, Neil Simon was working on your show of shows that. Which was a, you know, the <sighs> most like popular variety show of the time, right? With everybody who ever went on to be anybody. Mel Brooks, Larry Woody Allen. Oh my God. You know, just everybody wrote for this show. Crazy, crazy. So he wrote this. He had done, I guess, just come blow your horn. Yeah. He was new. He was a newbie. Like he he wasn't Neil Simon. No, 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 not at that point. He'd had a kind of a hit. And -hmm. then this was kind of a big deal. So this was his vehicle for Sid Caesar. They really wrote this. This book by, um, you know, that was that was this funny send up of Hollywood woman getting to the top in Hollywood and um, Patrick Dennis's book, who also wrote Mame. Mame. The so basis let, of Mame. Let's put yeah. a pin right here because yes, for people who who recognize Patrick Dennis's name, this guy not only gave us Mame Dennis and Vera Charles, but also gave us Belle Poitrine. And if you don't know who that is, you'll keep listening because you'll right. be very grateful. He's very much a gay icon in my eyes because of these amazing women in theater that he, that have come out of his, his writing. He had a very complex life, was married to a woman. Uh, all of his books fell out of favor in the 70s. And so he just went to, uh, he began working as a butler and uh, left writing altogether. Um, yeah, and then eventually found his way to, you know, I, uh, like Greenwich Village and found himself later in his life. But we have these works that come from this very specific time of his life that are just celebrating these larger-than-life women. I love Amazing. it so much. And, and, of course, Auntie Mame was loosely based on his own childhood, right? Right, right. So sure. um, Neil Simon and Cy Coleman, I guess Neil Simon really, found... Somehow, and I don't know the genesis of that, why it fell into their hands, but it became really a vehicle for Sid Caesar to be back on Broadway. And it was this whole thing where he played all these characters, exactly what you'd think if you were writing. It's funny, Martin Short did the next revival. It's it's appropriate. Also a sketch guy. Sketch guy, SNL guy. It's it's pre-SNL. It's what all of that came Mm -hmm. from, those early early kinds of shows. And that's what Sid Caesar was the king of at the time. Yeah, he wasn't doing stand-up comedy. He was doing characters. He was doing voices, impressions. That was his thing. And all these 
ridiculous writers were in the, were in the writers' room. Um, so they decided to make this musical, but really it was a Sid Caesar vehicle. I think in order to understand Little Me, you have to first understand the like the culture of star vehicle musicals, because it was really popular during the '60s, particularly during the '60s, to create a show around one individual around their talents what they can do Mm, and what producers found was that it was awesome because people would rush to the theater to see their favorite person but then what happens if the person gets sick or the person leaves to do a film or just doesn't want to do it anymore right the musical just goes away and so from this time period we have some shows that have aged really well and have found success with whoever is starring in it like Gypsy for example Mm -hmm. but then for every gypsy you have all american or <laughs> or golden boy or you know one of yeah. those types of shows that was uh mm. written for someone specifically and then once that person was gone it doesn't really see the light of day and little me falls right in the middle i think mm. where mm. it's funny enough and has the scores fantastic it's enjoyable enough for audiences that you don't have to have a sid caesar and yet every time they try it again they f- kind of have to reinvent it a yeah. little bit because they don't have sits either, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's a really interesting piece. It falls right there in the middle. Yeah. And then the character of Belle Poitrine, even though she, they were both in it the entire time, she was the setup girl. I mean, in many ways, there was a vaudeville almost feeling to it. Like mm-hmm. like sketch comedy meets vaudeville. Very bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. And, um, and all about her setting up the jokes. The kind of sexy, whatever. Belle Poitrine means yeah. beautiful, beautiful breasts in yeah, French. In French. Yeah, in French. Nice boobs. There are a lot there, of boob yeah. jokes in this show. A lot of boobs. So it's very, very vaudeville. And then he would be the ba 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 Well, mm-hmm. when they divided it, they decided to do the revival. They made it a vehicle for Jimmy Coco, who's brilliant, and Victor Garber, who's brilliant. But they divided it yeah, yeah. into a young and an older guy. So weirdly... The character of Belle then became the only, like I was the consistent thing through the entire piece. But the reality is, I was a straight person. Like even with the big boobs and the thing and the thing, I had like three punchlines. <laughs> like it wasn't about <laughs> Belle. It, it was, but only uh-huh. in that it gave him an opportunity to be funny. But it put a weird, almost weight that, I, I mean, this is this is just fascinating dramaturge, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that uh, on her, that really was, you didn't really care. Like, it was about well, him being I, funny. And know? honestly, if I have a complaint with the show, I wish that it was her show. You know what I mean? There was a revival in the two, or sorry, late 90s, right? Martin with Short and Faith. Martin and Faith Prince. Faith Prince, yeah. And so they, uh, and, and all of a sudden, even though he was doing all of the characters again, like Sid Caesar, it was just her playing both the young right. and the and old older versions Bell. of so herself. They made, so they made it so even that way. It was a yeah. little more even, and I kind of appreciate that, because we're at the point now where I'm like, yes, this is a story about a female. Let's, like, celebrate that as right. well. Neil Simon? Now here, this is a question for you. And all the respect to Neil Simon. He's a comedy genius, right? But I was listening to a podcast and someone posed the question, is there a playwright out there who was as successful and has aged more quickly than Neil Simon? So in other words... Aged poorly in terms of his works. Because... I mean, he was on top of the world. His name was above the title, right? Neil Simon's The Goodbye Girl, Neil Simon's uh, Biloxi Blues. And I feel like because so much of his writing has to do with gender politics, honestly, a little bit of what we're talking about right now, a lot of it has aged in a way that modern audiences aren't really interested in seeing anymore. Mm, Very interesting. You know, I must say, and I'm a staunch rabid feminist and yet it's not something I've given a lot of thought to maybe I blocked yeah. it because my Tony nomination was for Belle Poitrine what's, what's so from I have freaking a conflict, Simon? conflict of interest <laughs> there with like, like, like go there Mary really is that the role <laughs> alright mostly you just didn't wear a lot of clothing there you go <laughs> and you set up jokes for the funny guy I mean that's what it was that's exactly uh, what it was and I sang amazing songs by Sly yes. Coleman I mean that's where the that's where the the juice was Fascinating thing to say. I would honestly not be able to reflexively answer that because yeah. I think, honestly, Jeff, 
you know, we're at this incredible moment. As a teacher yeah. at AMDA, I'm doing seminars all the time that are just constantly reframing my perspective on so many things. My own perspective on on gender, LGBTQIA, you know, we're, uh, I mean, as, I'm a feminist, but there's so much I don't know that I don't know. Yeah. Oh, uh, amen. You know, that's the, that's my life too, for absolutely, sure. Absolutely. I think we're all kind of reflecting and going, what is that? One of the things that will sound so very obvious is understanding that most art, theater, music have been through the male gaze. They have yeah. been historically through the male gaze because that's simply the way things were. And that's this, the people writing those are not at fault. They wrote yeah. some amazing opportunities, and I benefited from all of them. That, but almost all of them, I would say, I can't even think what small percentage were not written, directed, produced. I mean, and yeah. it's not just a phenomenon as an actor, although it's profound that way. But as a person, and um, the internalization. I remember being a young actress, and ironically, doing you know, there I am in Little Me. But was I, yeah, but was I girl enough? Was I pretty enough? Was I feminine enough? Um, Beth Malone, who did Fun Home, Uh I I read her a quote that just blew my mind. She said she realized before she came out that she'd always felt like when she was on stage in female roles that she was in drag. Wow. And I thought, and I'm not, I'm, like straight, whatever, you know, cisgender. Mm-hmm. I feel that way too. <gasps> I realized at that moment I felt the same way. I always felt that way. I put on a wig and I, I try and girl. You got to put on girly. the lashes. You yep. got to do the Be thing. Girl, and was the... I girl enough in those men? Was I attractive enough? Was I blah, 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 blah. Enough? Well, and you talked earlier about like, we're, we're infamous for having egos, but also no self-esteem. And it's like, well, uh, yeah. On some level, subconscious or consciously, you're like, I am not woman enough. <laughs> yep. No, Therefore, and- I must do X, Y, and Z before I even step foot on stage for this audience to like me. And, and you even see, not, not as much anymore, but like women will suddenly, I, forgive me, I'm going to say things, I'm going to step and poop. But like sometimes they'll think they have to be sexy and they suddenly start acting actresses like drag queens. Like mm. they, we, we start doing stuff that women don't. Don't do, and that's not a put down to drag queens. I didn't mean it no, that way at no. all. No, no, I think I think that's what they're playing on. Actually, is well, yes, this, like, that notion it, of what female like society. This is what you're saying females do. So, am I a pretty beautiful girl? Right. You know, like let me do sexy. Which, like, has anyone ever really? You'd like laugh if a woman did that. You'd be like, "What? Yeah. Are you okay? You have a spasm? What's going on with your shoulder?" <laughs> like, it's weird, you know. Um, but it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. So, so, what, so anyway, back to Neil Simon. I guess what I yeah. want to say to that is, of course, that's true. Also wrote some great roles for women. Oh, you know? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I honestly think that as much as Belle is kind of the, the setup in the oh. show, I think it's a great role because she's a little clueless. She's dirty. She's, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she's, yeah. and yet... She's also pretending that her life was so important that she had to write an autobiography so everyone <laughs> knew how important she was. Like, I, that kind of delusion is one of my favorite things in the world. And, and I think it's one of the reasons why Patrick Dennis wrote this book in the first place. You know, this, uh, he's, like you mentioned, he's doing this send up on the celebrity autobiography, right. which at this point was kind of a new thing. You had, you know, people like Joan Crawford, who I, I, that that little meme of Joan Crawford talking about what makes a perfect Christmas uh, party always goes around at the same time of year. And it's from uh, like a, I, I don't know, like Better Homes and Gardens magazine from around this time. Okay. And she's like, be sure to invite a, the perfect collection of artists, politicians, millionaires, and you know what I mean, to your home, and then be sure to put liquor in everything. Like, it's just the most <laughs> silly, <laughs> silly uh, little recipe oh for the perfect God. holiday party. But she's, like, fully taking herself seriously. Like, there, there is no wink to this. She's like, no, this is exactly how you do right. it. And right. Patrick Dennis is like, y'all are ridiculous. You, <laughs> you as celebrities and uh, actresses are are insane. And so yeah. we're going to make fun of it with this show. Now, when they write this show, it is not a super happy experience. Or I don't want to say a happy one, oh. but it is 
tumultuous for sure. When the first production of Little Me? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, did yeah. Not, okay, I know none of this. That's okay. wild. We're just gonna we're just gonna briefly go through some of the dirt, and it's not it's only to say like amazing that this show is so fun and so lighthearted when truly there was a lot of stuff going on. Sid Caesar himself was having a really bad substance abuse problem, and they were having he was drinking, right? Or yeah, or, yeah. Okay. I believe it was the alcohol uh, that was making an out-of-town tryout very difficult for them. Um, Not to mention Carolyn Lee and Cy Coleman. Well, actually, Carolyn, bless her heart, seems to to not be able to get along with anybody on the team. Um. She was pretty uh, tempestuous. And we just got done saying it's a man's world. So I can only imagine the kind of pressures that she was under I, at the I, time. I got to say, I, I, I don't know. I don't my know. My heart I, goes out to yeah, her, truly. Just, it mind. also sounds like there may have been something a little bit undiagnosed about her because she would full on have uh, like manic episodes if her work was criticized or like challenged. At mm-hmm. one point when Bob Fosse, who was the choreographer, legendary right. Bob Fosse, asked if they could you know, take out one of her verses for a dance break. She left the theater. Oh, she grabbed his whistle because he always had this whistle during rehearsal. She grabs the whistle, runs out of the theater, starts whistling for a policeman. She finds one, drags him into the theater and says, arrest that man and close the show. (laughs) Like, that's the kind of stories that were going down when the the show was being created. Oh, my Um, God. So I know that it wasn't an easy road. And then once they got to Broadway, all of the papers were on strike. And so even the good reviews. Yeah. It got lost, got totally lost. Even the good reviews that they had got lost because there were no papers. It was all word of mouth. And then there were also all of the, I mean, it was a very male heavy season that year. In addition to Little Me, you had a funny thing happen on the way of the forum. Mm. Speaking of Stephen Sondheim. But, like, as good as Sid Caesar was in the show, it, it wasn't competitive enough with Zero Mostel in that show. Not yeah. to mention you've also had Oliver. Those two shows really came alive as the big uh, the big winners of the year, of the season. And Little Me ran for almost a year. It had, a, it had its fans. And uh, I think it continues to have its fans for has sure. Has like interesting fans, like people that just think it was one of the best things they ever saw. It's like a, almost a culty niche uh, following where people. Yeah. And, and in a way, I mean, I almost this is just my take on it. But by the time we came along and anything was messed with, those who didn't care for it still didn't, and those who oh. did felt betrayed. And you didn't win over any new ones. You just just couldn't really win with that one. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I love most about the show is that we don't get these types of shows anymore. It it was really just to make you laugh. Absolutely. Also, when you talk about SNL, you know, which sketch comedy so often does have musical numbers. Right. But, you know, they are usually just parody. And so you have this show, which has all of the best qualities of that that comedic side, but then with freaking musical geniuses, like that's special. That's something that only musical theater can do. Yeah. And it was Fosse who directed that as well as choreographed, right? Um, He just choreographed. Who directed Um, so Cy Fuhrer directed, who is a famous uh, producer, oh and my. he only directed a couple of shows, uh, but this was one of them. Oh, my and, God. Um, well, you know, because the, uh, they had, well, anyway, long story short, Bob, uh, Bob Fosse came in and choreographed one of our numbers. Did for he the really? Revival. He did. He did his favorite. They they had wanted well because it was Peter Gennaro, right? Who came yeah, in and Peter did yours? Who, yeah, who was, who was one great. of the original Steam Heat dancers? Like, so he's oh, well versed in the Fosse right. world, right? Absolutely. But Fosse came in just as a favor, and he redid um, up deep down inside this number. Oh, how cute! And uh, it was this big choreographed number, and all I did was walk around pushing Jimmy Coco in a wheelchair. And um, boy, at, at, in the middle of rehearsing it, he cut. He told everybody else to take a break for two hours and come back because he was going to work with me. All I did was push a wheelchair, but <laughs> I, 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 but he. What did was, you do for two hours? He, we, we worked on everything that I was doing while I pushed that wheelchair. He that is what detail that man wow. had. I mean, he it was like what? It was like well, you're like the lead, so we got to talk about what you're doing. Isn't and that I, special? You, you know, never I, get that kind of time. No, I was just like, I'm just pushing, I'm just in a pretty <laughs> thing with my boobs hanging out, you know, like, what? And he worked with me. It was, it was a real, wow, it was a real eye opener to 
what he did. You know, he yeah. he didn't. There was no detail that he just missed or you know didn't make time for. That's yep. really cool. What yeah. a great story. Yeah. All right. Let's talk through some of the show and and we'll we'll briefly because it is a comedy. It's always hard to do comedies on our, on my podcast here because uh, nothing like me telling you. I promise this is funny, guys. Farce. Right, I'm right, explaining right. farce. But there are so many great numbers and so many great moments. We'll we'll take you through it. I have to first of all give a shout out to this overture. You guys, go to the original cast album of Little Me. Listen to this overture. You never get this anymore, where the the strings are going as crazy as the brass section. It's off the hook. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go Old live your life school. listening to the overture. Yeah. Old school. And at the beginning of the show, we meet Belle Poitrine. We meet the older version of Belle, right? Yes. Who's looking yes. back on her life. She has created this autobiography called Little Me. And the, originally the show began with the truth, right? The, the, there was this number called the truth, which very much feels like her saying over and over again, what you're going to hear is completely the truth. I haven't fabricated anything. She's probably fabricated most of it. And then we meet young Belle, right? Who's actually named Maybelle Schlumpfert. She's from Illinois, from the wrong side of the tracks. She's very poor. Her mother's a nurse working in the red light <clears throat> clinic. And uh, she's dreaming She's dreaming of being on, on uh, Quality Hill, which is this place where all of the rich people live. She's fallen in love with this boy named Noble Egglestein, who is a horrible, spoiled little brat of a boy. But for some reason, she really likes him. And he goes to Harvard and Yale. And Yale, exactly. There you go. And he likes her a lot, too. In fact, he loves her. And every time they get even close, the music swells and they have this, I love you, (laughs) uh, which is so ridiculous and fun. But it ultimately sends her on the great journey of her life, which is, okay, she has to prove in a very America sort of way that she is worthy of this brat (laughs) who has it all and has this really mean mom who won't let him marry her. And in order to do that, she's going to get three things. Wealth, culture, and social position. (laughs) She learns how to tell red wine from white. (laughs) Red wine from white. That's amazing. A culture. (laughs) Those are so, like, that's that Neil Simon stuff that, man. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing that she does, who does she meet first? Oh, my God. Oh, my, my God. God. Now, wait a minute. Uh, you got to no, know. No, you're you fine. Know, Jeffrey, how long ago this was? It, no, it's fine. I forget it's fine. what I did yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I my have my, God. I have my notes, but I do okay. think, speaking of deep down inside, she meets... It's uh, that the, the, yeah, the guy from Mr. It's a Wonderful Life. Mr. Pinchley. Mr. Pinchley, who's the guy from It's a Wonderful... It's a send-up of that. They're all... Lots of them are send-ups of tropes that are, you know... Yes, so he's like... He's the mean guy who owns the bank. He owns everything in the town, right? Right. And everybody hates him, except for Belle, who thinks that there might be a little bit of good in him. and but it's But it's deep, 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 deep down inside... And there, it's this really fun, I mean, right. what a great freaking production number. I love it so yeah. much. Yeah. It puts a smile on my face. I will, I'm not kidding, Mary Gordon Murray. I will randomly be eating my lunch and all of a sudden I'll be like, deep down, there's an old cop salad, deep down inside. Like, I've just created <laughs> lyrics based on what I'm, what is surrounding me for this I song because everything can fit in. It's just one of those list songs where right. every lyric can fit in there. It's right, uh, right, it, right. it's so much fun. And you got mm-hmm. to work with freaking Bob Fosse on it. How I cool. I did. I did. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And he could not have been lovelier. Yep. So by the end of the number... Uh, Mr. Pinchley has found a little bit of good in, in him. He has reconciled with his son. The whole town celebrates. Uh, Belle goes to give him a big hug. And unfortunately, because of her ample bosom, a gun goes off that he's been carrying around with him and he dies. <laughs> the whole joke of little me, if I can jump ahead, is that she's poisoned. That everybody yes. dies. She's- yes, like everyone she comes in contact with has a horrible, horrible, horrible death. ending that she had. But it's she had all about her. Right. Exactly. She. I mean, she's always innocent. 
And um, and it, I mean, it's it's the so double fantastic. entendre of Patrick Dennis's. I guess it was in the original one. I I don't remember. One hundred percent. Right. So the whole idea is, you know, she really offed all these people, but it's her rewrite of her of, of her perfect life. Right? It just happened to have, all, happened these to have all these people die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that's a fun character. That's yeah. like full Vel- Velma Kelly territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because she gets like in all the newspapers for killing this super rich man accidentally. Accidentally, uh, that of course attracts some producers who convince her to join vaudeville. And she, even though she has no talent, she can't sing worth beans. <laughs> and they sing this great song called "Be a Performer." Like so many of these songs could be taken out of the show and put into any review, any sort of uh, a great cabaret night. Be a performer, great song. Yeah. Dimples, the song that she sings on vaudeville, is Which so was, stupid, but cut. I love. Was it cut? Did you not do it? Cut in our production, which I was devastated by. But yeah, they cut it. I don't know why. Oh, I'm sure. I don't know why. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I know. Oh, them doggone dimples. They did it again. Tell me why, little Linda. Um, yeah. so I mean, classic fun. dumb blonde. And you thing. know all the lyrics. And I know it. I love that song. When I was working on it, I was like, you know, we I had like two months before we went into rehearsals. I was like, oh, this is great. They got oh, it. how funny. I don't know why. That original cast recording with, is her name Virginia Martin? Yeah. I mean, she was like the original Hedy LaRue in How to Succeed. So like she she knows all of that body humor, but she is also like just screaming. (laughs) It's that old school belting where she's just yelling and I can't get enough of it. It makes me (laughs) so happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 60s. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. It oh 100% God. is. Yeah. Oh, I totally skipped over on the other side of the tracks. Ladies, if you want a great audition song, hit up that number. It was so right? funny. I, I, the first time I did it at Amden, somebody got up and did that. And I was like, um, well, there's a little history I have with so that. So I know. just got to tell you about my Tony nomination <laughs> <laughs> for this they always, song. I, I always feel like I'm making those things up when I write them. <laughs> It's like, what? You're just this weird lady that teaches at Amda. No. <laughs> it's, I am no, legendary. It's, Mary uh, and yeah. if you need me to come in and tell them, I have, I will, I will read off your resume. All right, Jeff. Um, <laughs> so after the, you know, failed attempt at being a vaudeville star, Miss Bell goes to work as like a cigarette girl at a club, right? Yes. Uh, that is owned by this guy named... I mean, I know him as Lucky. Was he named George when you did it? I think his name has changed over the years. Oh my God, I just remember it was Don Korea. Let's just say it's usually owned by a sexy, sexy man. Sexy dancer. um, (laughs) And the main performer at the club is this guy named Val Duval, who is, of course, played by the same guy who played the old guy. I mean, this is the Sid Caesar role, right? The important thing about this is that Belle gets seduced by the owner in this, like, super sexy dance number called I've Got Your Number. I've Got Your Number. Man, a great freaking song. And this number... I mean, it was Fosse, and Fosse always had, like, that playful sexuality about his work. But when this originally opened on Broadway, the the dancer who played the the part was named uh, Sven, Sven Swenson. Sven Svensson, yes. Which you would think is a name from the show, to be honest. <laughs> I know. Or a name from <laughs> Bergman movie. I don't know. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he he was a, a like a Cunningham dancer, and Fosse created this great number for him. And he said that consistently women would rush the stage. You know, because like at this oh point, God. when I think about it, you had the women who were always doing the sexy dance. You had Gwen Verdon doing whatever Lola wants, right? But like, yeah. had there ever been a guy doing a male strip tease on Broadway before? These housewives were going nuts for it. And I'm so, I love wow. that part of the show. Wow. You're wow. giving the women a little bit of something. Wow. Don Korea was amazing in the role. Yeah. Just amazing in the role. It's very, very sexy and stopped the show every night. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great great. Number. It's a great yeah. number. And that was one of those that like, um, uh, uh, as a kid, I remember hearing that in like variety shows and the Ed Sullivan, it was like a very big pop yeah, you know, it had a uh, life after the show. For oh, sure. big life after it. Yeah, it was one of those where you, you, when I first heard it, I went, "Oh, it's from that, really? Oh, oh my God. cute. You know? Oh, who knew? It was yeah. the, you know, so, so. the big record that was being sold. Sure. sure. 
Belle says that after this encounter, she's left uh, alone and pregnant. <laughs> she goes and I think is volunteering for the war effort. Is that right? Yes, yes. She's with the Red Cross. She's a nurse. <laughs> I don't remember. Red Cross. Yes. She's trying to follow in her mother's footsteps of being a nurse. Wink, wink. And so she meets this soldier, played by guess who, um, (laughs) who falls madly in love with her. Of course, he dies because they get married. (laughs) I don't remember why. No, I do. I think it's because of the war, right? No, he died on a piece of fish. A bad piece of fish. It, it makes, yeah. I mean, of course. Of, of course, course it was the fish. But I think she made it. I think. <laughs> Oops. Something like oh, that. Oh, Belle. I'm pretty sure he was the one. Yeah. Oh, Belle. After that, she gets reintroduced to Val Duval. He keeps, like, losing his memory. There's something, there's something weird going on with that. But then when, like, all of the cannons go off from some sort of warfare, it, like, brings back his memory and he remembers her. So then they get married. And that's how the first act ends. Is that... Oh I don't God. know if that's how yours went, but that's oh how it went originally. I, it's, I'm going to take your word for it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, that is amazing. I'm, like, going, oh, my God, that's right. That is what happened in that show. Oh. I mean, it's it's so, so silly. It, at the top of Act 2, Belle and Val set sail on the SS Gigantic, <laughs> oh which uh, was the ship that was never supposed to sink. Um, <laughs> and while they're on there, she runs into Noble again, like Noble from her childhood, who this is why she's going through all of this stuff is to, you know, win his love. As soon as they reveal that they still love each other, they hit an iceberg, and uh, <laughs> and Noble helps uh, the passengers. I love this scene so much. They it's on the recording of the revival, and I highly recommend anybody just. There's this whole sequence where Noble teaches the passengers how to swim, and he's like, "Frog kick, frog kick, frog kick." It's the most ridiculous thing that makes me giggle hysterically. Oh my god. Oh so of course, I remember we had a big set that tilted. Did you? It was very oh, difficult wow. to stand on. It was very it was full very hydraulics. <laughs> now, when the boat sinks, unfortunately, Val Duval dies, um, and so she sues the luxury liner company for the loss of her husband and her luggage, and makes a, a fortune. So she has her first thing. She has wealth, but now she still needs culture and yep. a social position. She gets those by, number one, becoming a Hollywood star. A great song, Poor Little Hollywood Star. What a great, what a great number. I can, I can hear your voice singing that now. You have such, by the way, we haven't discussed this. You have one of those great voices that sounds like nobody else. Oh, and I, and I, oh, I, thanks, I love hearing Thank all you. of your YouTube clips that I, <laughs> that I, that there I seek are, out. There, there they are. God they're there. YouTube. They're there. And yeah. they're amazing. But when she starts doing all of these, like, sort of B-movies, the director mysteriously dies, of course. <laughs> and so then she becomes the director. And her and by directing this horrible film, she ends up, like, gaining some sort of uh, status. status. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, culture. Um, the last thing of hers that she needs to get is, once again, social position. And she gets that from this dude played by you-know-who, by the name of Prince Cherney, who is the leader of this, like, small East Eastern European nation. He has gambled all of the country's funds away, and so he has a heart attack, and he's about to die. And so Belle is kind of leading him close to death, and he has all of the his mourners from his country. It's this really hilarious song called "Goodbye." Some of the some of the best Carolyn Lee lyrics in the entire show are right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is let's see. So sing Matilda, you too, Bradley. Not you, Sal. You sing very badly. Dance Matilda <laughs> till I holler for the funeral parlor. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great lyric. Oh my god! Oh she is a clever god. woman. She yes, may have been she a, a little fiery, but man, what yeah. a, what a what a clever brain! 
It's this entire number of him saying goodbye over and over again. It's basically Dolly Levi times 10. And um, at, at the end of it, Belle gives him some of her money, which miraculously heals him, only to then realize that Belle had given him poisoned wine to make his death a little easier. And so he dies anyway. <laughs> Upon his death, she becomes Countess Zoftig. And and so she gains her social position. And so now she has her three things. She uh, actually ends up going back and marrying the guy who was the father of her child. Now we've kind of bookend. We're back to older Belle, who uh, sings the great here's to us. And right at the end, when we think that everyone's going to live happily ever after, Noble shows up. He's drunk. He's lost all of his money. She's like, I'll take you back. I don't care if you're, you know, poor. His mother runs in with a gun to stop it. She (laughs) she shoots the gun. Noble thinks it's hit him, but it actually hit George, who Belle's married to. So now she's single and can marry Noble and they live happily ever after (laughs) the end. This is your career, Mary. This is my career. This is my career. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's so so ridiculous and so wild, but so fun. I love how it has all these smart chapters. It always keeps me entertained, and I really, really love the show and the score, and I'm so grateful you went through it with me today. Oh, I'm totally – it's so funny just because thinking about this moment in time and, you know, talking about things you can do and – the political the moment we're in sure. looking at all kinds of stuff and this is a show that probably won't get done very often right now you know sure. what i mean we'll get past Absolutely. this moment and then it'll be funny again then right. be able to see it with a grain of salt or they'll switch the characters and you know bell will be a guy or something right. you know, to make it still <laughs> and it'll be a woman you know uh whoopi goldberg will play all the you know, <laughs> something insane like that but um but it is it is uh it's such a moment of its time and yeah. uh but it yeah but it really is a delightful one. And I'm grateful for the artists who created it. Uh, anything, that, anything that we forgot that you want to talk about? Oh, my God. From that show, geez, I was just thinking about Jessica James, who played the older Belle, who had oh. just been, who had just gotten, not that long ago, to done Gemini and was oh. kind of her big fame. But um, Jessica was a trip in that role. She, she was very funny. Did you have a big age difference? Like, was she considerably yeah. older than you? Yeah. 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 So yeah, they change. I mean, with Faith, obviously they they bridge that. But yeah. no, I guess Jessica. Geez, I'd have to. I mean, it felt that way. I was in my twenties. Yeah. You know, so everybody seems sure. like they're ancient when you're in your twenties. <laughs> but um, but she was. Pro- I don't really know how old. But of course, they made her look. Yeah. The whole idea was well, she kind of seen tougher days, and so she was not made to look. Uh, yeah, young and fresh. By the way, I just got to say one thing. Jimmy and, and Victor were fabulous, and oh, um, oh my god, be- and. Yeah. I believe Cy Coleman yeah. said, like, either one of them could have done yeah. the show by themselves. Yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. And Jimmy, in rehearsal, was the funniest person I've ever known in my life. I mean, oh. I would I would lose it. It was horrible. I would, like, I'd have to control myself because I'd be laughing. to be like, Mary, stop. Come on. And, but, I can mean, you pull it together? You're you ruining my scene. Can you pull your stuff together? Um, we, at one point on stage, we were in previews, and he had this fat suit for one thing, and we were supposed to the making out or I don't remember and I fell off of him because we just got all confused in the balance and I was rolling on the floor of that theater like like a fool and laughing so hard in the middle of a sh- like I'm on Broadway going you have to stop thank god it was little me but I mean right and of course he's got it together he's fine that right. would be he's, that would be Jimmy fine. Coco he's fine I'm- I am shot I can't even he, function. <laughs> he's Jimmy Coco. You're Jimmy right. Fallon. And I can't keep it together. <laughs> I'm totally Tim Conway. I'm just gone. Or whatever that is. I'm just gone. I am Har- yeah. Cannot function at all. But uh, I, I mean, it was just a joy to work on that piece. If for no oh. other reason. There were so many reasons. But but uh, so much was, laughter. Jimmy was phenomenal. Yeah. He was just, just the, that face and that clown, those eyebrows. Those eyebrows just could kill you. You know, get that <laughs> amazing ability, you know, with one look to just kill you. Yeah, wow. it's great. That's that it old school great. comedy that yep. you just either you either got it or you don't got it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then of course Victor Garber, oh my God. who is just can do anything, right? And I would go on to Merrily. We did um, we did the second time I did Merrily. He was Franklin, and I was Gussie. So oh. we, we were a, a couple again. Great casting. <laughs> 
How funny. <laughs> Very That's different. Adorable. Very different I'm casting. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about the title track called Little Me, which is a duet for both Younger Belle and Older Belle. My gosh, oh, what right. a great song. Right. Holy and, cow. I'm, and one that was written for our production that wasn't in the original, which is I Want to Be Yours, which is on YouTube. And um, I had that big, huge table, which I crawled across. We were sitting on opposite ends. That's the one where I fell off Jimmy Coco's fat suit. Um, but we were on opposite sides <laughs> of this absurd table that was the entire length of the stage having dinner with these chandeliers. That's when I learned how to set, uh, tell the funny. difference between between red wine and white wine. And, oh, how um, funny. Oh, I don't know we'll whether it's to, on. We'll have to post it. Yeah, I don't know whether that's it made it into the um, Martin Short revival. It sounds like it you don't didn't. remember. No. Oh, no. The only time, the only reason I know that song is because of the YouTube version. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's wild. So they still were tinkering. Yeah. They were still tinkering with that guy. Put some stuff Absolutely. back. So Dimples mm-hmm. was in the revival? Was Dimples so Dimples in- was in the revival. Little Me was the opening number, oh and it was God. just a solo for Faith. Wow. Yeah, so every yeah. time they've they've done something they've a little it. bit yeah. different. And every time it hasn't worked, according to some people. Okay. I mean, I don't... I don't. But I lo- doesn't mean I don't love it. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. It's a, it's a bunch of moving parts, and they don't quite... You know, it's like Merrily. It mm-hmm. is in the sense that there's, that it's just one of those things that's been loved for very different reasons, but mm-hmm. but also because this amazing score, mm-hmm. um, a hilarious book. I mean, a lot of Merrily, my role as Gussie was one of the funniest roles I've ever played. I loved it, but some of it doesn't quite doesn't quite quite ever make it across the finish line. Don't know. I mean, someday might. Who knows? This was Cy Coleman's second musical. Uh, the first one he wrote was another star vehicle for Lucille Ball called Wildcat, of course, oh my God, and yeah. had that very popular song, Hey, Look Me Over, mm. which was also written with Carolyn Lee. Anyway, that uh, show is even more bananas. Like, I, I <laughs> one day we'll do the plot of Wildcat oh and God. y'all won't believe who, what the show's about. Who wrote but, the book for that? Who was the book? Oh gosh, I don't. I literally wow. do not know. Yeah. Let me look because wow. yep. I'm really right, interested right, now. List. Yeah, Lucille book Ball. by N. Richard Nash. Oh yes, he did. Who a lot did of the stuff. Rainmaker? Yes. Wow. Uh, wow. Okay, so uh, the wow. thing was though is that it it didn't get great reviews. That song was more popular than it the probably show. even had any right to be because like it really was a, a really huge hit yeah. uh, from a show that closed very quickly. Partially though, because once again, Lucille Ball got sick, and then like nobody wants to go see that show if Lucille Ball's oh, not in it. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, from here on out, Star v- oh, Well, I, I guess Cy Coleman, now that I think about it, he's had a lot of Star Vehicle roles in his, in his uh, oeuvre. oeuvre. His oeuvre. <laughs> in, in his work. Yeah. Because uh, you got Barnum, you got Sweet Charity, you got Will Rogers Follies. I mean, a lot of these shows revolve around a, a big old star. Yeah. For yeah. sure. But I do think they just keep getting better and better. That is kind of an unusual thing in a composer or writer's career where their first stuff is like, okay, but then as he's getting older, it actually just keeps getting better. better. Right. They're usually like a big burst right at the gate. And then, yeah. yeah. And then they kind of lose their panache. But most people think that City of Angels is one of his best musicals and it was one of his last. So go figure. Good for him. Absolutely. And a nice he was a nice guy too. And I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, like was a I can't hear that nice enough. Man. Yep, nice nice man. Yep. That's great. As always, if you have shows you'd like to recommend for us to cover here on A Musical Theater Podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at amusicalpodcast. And be sure to subscribe to Patreon! Exclamation point, where for only $1 a month, you can receive bonus episodes and exclusive content just to say thank you for supporting the regular show. We just came out with an episode all about Broadway theaters, like the theaters themselves, with a guest, Tim Dolan, who owns Broadway Up Close Walking Tours, and we go into a deep dive on all of these really great buildings. It's a fascinating episode, and of course we'll have some stuff celebrating Sondheim in the new year. So be sure to subscribe to that. We also have a Tee Public store. 
Uh, we are on TikTok. There are so many ways to stay connected in this beautiful podcast family, and I'm so grateful you're here with us. Hey, Miss Mary, is there anything that you want to say as we uh, part no, this e- no, the today? This was, this was a total delight. I'm so happy to have done it, and thank you so much for asking me. That's oh, my gosh. Pleasure. My pleasure. pleasure. And everybody, right. if you ever have the opportunity to mm-hmm. see her in person, please yeah. take advantage of it. She's Thanks. a true Thanks. joy. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, there's a little bit of good inside you. Deep, 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 (laughs) deep, deep, deep down inside. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.